It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. ever thought we would make it to 300 episodes of this stupid fucking show (laughs) hey don't you talk bad about my show here we are guys 300 episodes i can't believe we did it i can't believe we somehow pulled this off feels like a hundred (laughs) yeah maybe because (laughs) yeah good joke i'll be here all week (laughs) we've been talking about doing Wee's big adventure for like since before Brian was on the show, we've brought up Pee Wee's Big Adventure pretty regularly. But then the addition of Brian and how frequently him and I will just quote random lines of this movie to each other in our day-to-day life. It just felt like a very appropriate episode 300. So here we are talking about Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the first Tim Burton movie. Some could argue the best Tim Burton movie in a lot of ways. In All joking aside, I think that this is, when you think about it from a standpoint of a first-time director... He really nailed what the Tim Burton aesthetic would be from here on out, right out the gate. (laughs) The funniest thing about watching this for me was, re-watching this for me was, it still feels nightmarish. I think I've mentioned this to you guys before, but maybe the context here is is important. But uh, growing up, when I'd have, I'd get a lot of ear infections. And when I would get ear infections, I would get these ridiculous headaches and fevers. And, and, and when you're all feverish and trying to sleep, things don't make sense. And the reoccurring thing was kind of like this waking nightmare where I'd try to hold objects. I was, you know, I was like basically asleep. I'd try to hold objects in my hand, right? But the objects would continue to 
expand and contract and and it was horrifying to me because for whatever reason I couldn't control it it was like a very, just a very unsettling feeling watching peewee's big adventure is the same thing because like his fork and knife are massive and and his bowl of cereal and like everything about this like the sizes of everything are out of whack and it still makes me feel uncomfortable the set design is like where do you get the money for all that so someone there is a theory a fan theory that peewee is rich for inventing a series of rube goldberg machines oh, okay that would make a lot more sense and then that money just like rolled into him being able to just like live his man child dreams <laughs> one of the jokes that i don't think i ever really appreciate it but i love that this movie is called peewee's big adventure and the credits are so small and minimalistic <laughs> when it pops up. Like, it's such a dumb joke. But the opening credits are so boring and plain right out the gate. And I was like, that's really, really funny. But, like, also this is Danny Elfman's first attempt ever doing a film score. And, again, I think he nailed it out of the park. Like, even that beginning the beginning bicycle race, the peewee theme, oh, yeah. the breakfast song, like... The whole first 10 minutes of this, there's so many good musical motifs that pop out throughout the rest of the movie that have that childlike wonder. But then, yeah, Pee-wee wakes up from his dream of riding in the Tour de France, and it is just set design chaos out the ass the second you see this bedroom. <laughs> like, Yeah, I, I do love his uh, workout regimen because it reminds <laughs> me of my workout regimen. <laughs> yeah. Two solid efforts with some dumbbells and calling Those it are like day. three pound dumbbells. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> That's me. <laughs> it's so funny because I, I didn't really write any lines or like anything down really? for the first like... For the first, like, 20 minutes of this movie, I was just, like, sucked back into any time I watch it where I'm just sitting there quoting it. I'm just like, I know you are, but what am I? Like, just so, he's so fucking funny. Right out the gate, the actor who plays Francis plays that role so well as just, like, the most obnoxious, spoiled, rich kid. Well, that's what's so great about the two of them is that Pee-wee is rich man-child with a heart of gold and francis is rich man-child that is awful and so yeah. it's like they're 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 the mirror images of each other but the funny thing the funniest thing and also like peewee's skinny and francis is fat i love francis's jumpers yes it's not it is the least complimentary outfit that he yeah. could possibly be wearing but oh my god just my dad says I can have anything I want. Everything about Francis makes me so happy. When he shows up at Francis's house after the bike has gone missing, and like, what was the one line? He's like, Francis is taking his bath. Oh, really? Where are they hosing him off? Like, <laughs> that whole attack in the pool. Like, it's all chaos. But there's so many weird little in jokes with the sh with the movie as well. Like, I love the one of the first scenes that scared me as a kid. We're going to talk about a lot of things that like kind of freaked us this out. This is all kind of trauma. This Dude, movie is total uh, horror. Material. Okay, so that's that's the two of you because I never understood that. Like the first time I thought less of my siblings, I can remember both of them. It was Matt being afraid of the the clown scene in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh God, Jamie, yeah. And oh. Jamie being horrified at Weird Al getting fat in the fat music video. It was like the two yeah. times I was just like, you guys are older than me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, th they go into the magic shop, 
and the magic shop sequence is so weird and so bizarre but it's when he's showing him the different shrunken heads and then the last head he brings up is a giant alistair crowley head yeah. which is so funny <laughs> like, I, I know I didn't get that as a child because I didn't know who yeah. Aleister Crowley was, obviously. But it's just, <laughs> everything is scary in this movie. Yeah. Like, and the the goddamn or or maybe it's not scary, but it's it's unsettling. Dread, it's, it, it induces dread, you know, in me. Even the the goddamn clown waving statue that was horrifying to me. Here's a story I have never told on the podcast. There was this spitting head clock. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It was a clock with a head that would spit water when you were near it. It would spit water at you. It was like a, a like gag a- gift. It was, and it's it looked like a you know like a, a folk German outfit. Like you had one of those green hats on. You know, you okay. know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm, I'm picturing this clock. All right. And it's got like a little um, oh feather, uh, like type a little deal? feather in it, and. And he had, like, these big cheeks and a big nose, and he would laugh and spit water at you. And it was at the top of the stairs, or, like, if you would go down the stairs at this family friend's house to the basement, it was, like, right at the bottom of the basement stairs looking at you. So you literally could not get down to the basement to play with your friends without going past the spitting head clock. And that feeling of dread that the clown statue and the spitting head clock gave me right around the same time as a child are inexorably linked. Yeah. They really went out of their way to try to make this unsettling. And I think they do a really good job. Like the dream sequences are very unsettling. And like as a kid I didn't get it. Now as an adult I'm like, oh, they pulled so much German expressionism stuff yeah. to like create that weird dreamlike atmosphere in these scenes. Like the clown the clown hospital scene is amazing like the way it is shot is just incredible and it is like what i love in that specific dream is that it really is summing up the whole movie in like a two minute sequence up until that point where it's like the clown statue the shattered bike they're putting it on a hospital gurney because he like left the bike shop on a gurney and then like they're putting it together and then the main clown is francis with the creepy clown makeup like it's just so much different. Was the like, main clown Francis? I thought Francis was the devil. I think he's both. Mm, that clown was pretty skinny. Uh, maybe that's true. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> when he pulls down the surgical mask and it's that creepy clown face and he just starts laughing at Pee-wee, like, there's something unsettling about it. It's not like, oh, I'm going to run and hide in my room like I did when no, I saw... No, it just makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, like when I saw Christopher Lloyd eyeballs fall out ah like that was me running and hiding in another room until the movie was over peewee i kept watching but i was like there's something that doesn't feel okay about yeah this. man you're <laughs> so lucky i didn't know that your first time watching who framed roger rabbit was at home because i was in a theater oh no you i was at my grandmother's shit. house in front of all of my cousins so they made fun of me about it for like oh years. yeah you have told this story haven't yeah you? my cousin dave would just follow me around going i sounded like this eddie with his <laughs> It's like, you're a bad friend. So joke's on you. I'm not your friend. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, He's I mean, invite you over to a sleepover, and then you guys are going to read comic books on separate sides of the, <laughs> the, the basement. <laughs> but yeah, so like you have all of like the, the build up to the road trip is fantastic. What I really appreciate about this movie, and and it's it's again, it's like those those levels of brilliance. If he wasn't so recently on the Patreon, I almost wanted to have Jonathan on because Pee-wee's Big Adventure is almost a remake of Jonathan's favorite movie of all time, which is The Bicycle Thief. 
uh, which is like a 1947, I believe it's a French film. And it's literally about a guy whose prized bicycle gets stolen and he calls the cops and no one believes him. So he goes on a road trip to find the people that stole his bike. And they literally just like follow. Like, I remember when I watched The Bicycle Thief for the first time, it's not a funny movie, but I kept laughing because I was like, they literally took this script and just were like, but what if Pee Wee was doing it? Yeah. <laughs> like, it like, it's the beats. So it's kind of like I've said before, like, when I watched Chinatown or The Graduate for the first time, there was part of me that kept laughing because I was suddenly understanding all of the parodies of those films that I yeah. had seen prior that I'm like, dude, those parodies nailed these. Like, they knocked these out of the fucking park. But, like, it didn't, like, it, it actually kind of ruined my experience watching the actual classics. I want to jump, unless you guys have anything that you want to talk about before Pee Wee goes on his road trip. I do just want to point out something as a whole. Yeah. Because I... I I hate to say it, Matt, but I don't think you're qualified to make this statement because rose-tinted goggles are tattooed on your face. But <laughs> yeah. someone who can take them off. I went in fully expecting this to be like a nostalgic watch. I forgot that this is legitimately like a very funny movie. Like somebody with no prior <laughs> knowledge or like if I showed this to Jade and she never saw it, I think she would laugh. Like this is actually a really <laughs> funny fucking movie as a comedy. It- it's definitely the best that they've ever done for a Pee Wee movie. Oh, for, well, this was pre-kids, right? This yeah. is when he was doing the adult show. And then everything yeah, else, like Big Top Pee Wee, was like he was a kid show at yeah. that point. Yeah, no, that's also true. I was, that's Thank you for answer, uh, asking and answering that question because I was going to ask what the chronology was. Do you think that this movie is funny, including the shit that became like memes, like the, the Pee Wee dance... And the, I know you are, but what am I thing. And like some of the other things that are just so peewee. They're yeah, like ubiquitous so, now. Like I, cause I found those to be very cringy. I enjoyed everything but those. So I think that, I mean, I think that at a certain point it's, it's the Napoleon dynamite effect. You know what I mean? Like when something is kind of so shoved in your face, even if you did find it funny at one point, you've just like, been overexposed to it or it's been overquoted to you that it doesn't really have any meaning. I still think that those scenes are enjoyable, but like, I don't think that if you were to read this script, the script would be as funny as hearing the way that the lines are delivered by the people delivering. Yeah, it's not, and it's not even just the delivery. Like, if Paul Rubens was born 40 years prior, he would still be, or 50 years prior, he would still be a success. Like, he has the same skill as like, Charlie Chaplin, where it's like, yeah. the way he walks, his face, like, everything he does is very <laughs> funny, you know? Yeah, where, he's like, got the don't... Mr. Bean quality that you look for in a <laughs> So the whole time I was watching this, part of the reason I enjoyed it was it was, like, obviously this predate. I don't know if it predates Mr. Bean, I think it does, but Pee Wee Herman just reminds me of a mashup between Mr. Bean and Buster Bluth, and I love yeah. it so much. <laughs> um, well, so, so one of the Unlimited things that juice—it's <laughs> one of the things that I, I never actually noticed as a kid because I didn't understand this, but now as an adult, like Pee Wee's voice is Paul Rubens doing a Valley Girl impression. No. Like, that's always been... I don't hear that. The goal is that when it first started, it was like, Pee-wee is a male valley girl, was, like, the character. Okay. And you can, like, find interviews of, like, when he would just be Pee-wee on, like, David Letterman. He would tell these long jokes and stories oh, as, I like, remember. a... Ve- Dude, 
the, the bell the, ringer. The bell ringer is so fucking funny. Was he in the ground? Uh, the the groundlings? he was groundlings. He was okay. groundlings. That's Thoughts why on. Elvira has a cameo in this. Yeah, um, and, she, and he the, was gonna have a cameo in Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, but he was yeah, doing Big Top Peewee. Yeah, he was filming yeah. Big Top Peewee. But even then, her one line, her one line is even funny, where she's just like. I say you let me have him first. Like, on paper, that's not funny. But, like, the way she delivers it, it's just really funny. The funniest delivery on that scene is the biker. And it's 100% delivery. It's just the pauses between each of them where he's like, I say we stab him, then we hang him, then we kill him. (laughs) The line that I wrote down that is so funny only because of the way that the guy delivers it is when he first starts the road trip and he gets in the car with Mickey and, <laughs> and Mickey's telling the story of why he's on the run from the cops and it's because he cut off the don't remove this tag off of a <laughs> off of a bed Magic. and he just goes yeah I got a real bad temper <laughs> like, <laughs> I have to agree with you that that the comedic timing and the the <laughs> speech pattern is very funny and the and fact I think that that comes from sketch comedy like that's 100 yeah. percent like you come from sketch because com- like if if anything, being friends with with Bacon and Nate from Ninety One Donkey Lane, I've I've learned very much from them that it's like you don't have to say something funny, you just have to say it in a funny way, and it'll yeah. like get the joke across. Yeah, and I feel like <laughs> Bacon is- has the weirdest cadences. Love him to death. <laughs> But he would not be half as funny if he didn't have the weirdest cadences I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> the thing about Elvira is, like, it's it's also fun to think about how in this movie there's the picking up a murderous hitchhiker. But, you know, like, kind of a murderous hitchhiker. Yeah. And then there's the picking up the murderous hitchhiker at the beginning of <laughs> Mistress of the Dark. It's a fun little bookend. And, I, and just as an update to everybody who's probably already wondering... Who's listening? No, I am not picking Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, as my double feature. Right. Glad to clear the air on that. I mean, this. No, no, no. I actually, I had so many options. I have like three options that I wrote down for this. So I'm going to go last already because I'm going to give people a chance to steal it. But <laughs> I'm just um, pick the one I pick every time. But this, way. this movie's what, Town the Dreaded Sundown. Like, man, I watch Town the Dreaded Goes great once with Once I say it, you'll know it. But. I will say, speaking of him doing the Valley Girl, was the one. I don't know why I noticed things. I'm like, uh, that I enjoyed that they did that, but I thought it was really funny that when Pee Wee dressed up like a woman, he didn't alter his voice at all. Like, it, wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't like he like did like a high pitch or anything. He just talked normally, but had a wig and dress on. But yeah, you know, the guy's so, like, "Give me a whirl" or something like that. What I love in that scene, though, and I think at, at its heart, this is definitely like this is a sketch comedy film mm-hmm. with just like a rough plot to connect the skits together, uh, and it's done very very well. But like, what I like about that specific scene is there is that moment where Mickey is looking at Pee-wee after they get away from the cops, and Pee-wee's just sitting there, like, loving life in his dress. (laughs) And, like, you really do get this... He says it later when he's like, look, I like you. Like, you're a good person. Like, it is the one moment of sincerity in the movie where I feel like they are actually trying to make sure the audience understands that, like, Pee-wee may be obnoxious, but he always has good intentions behind it. Like, it's the only scene where they have even a slight injection of sincerity in the movie (laughs) before it just goes back into craziness. But something that I read that blew my mind about this movie, did you know that the script for Pee-wee's Big Adventure is used in script writing classes around the world? No, why? Because 
when Phil Hartman and Paul Rubin sat down to write the movie, oh, they had Phil Hartman wrote this with he wrote Paul it with Rubin? them. Oh, yeah, wow. they had never written a movie before, so they mm. bought a book called How to Write a Movie Script, and they followed it to a T. So the script follows a perfect three act structure screenplay wise. So like film classes are just like everyone's seen this movie. And it literally follows where act one ends at the 30 minute mark. Act two ends at the 60 minute mark and like everything's resolved in 90 minutes. Like it is a perfect three act 90 minute structure. So it's now like one of the most analyzed movies in film classes for that reason from a script writing perspective. That's insane. Of all the weird shit that you've dug up and explained to me on the the years and years we've been podcasting together, that might be the weirdest. (laughs) So I was one of the things that I thought when I was watching this movie is I was watching my DVD and, you know, DVDs have the scene selections and someone's job was to just come up with the scene selection names and... Kudos to whoever came up with this naming, but scene 15 is called Dreams Within a Dinosaur, and scene 16 is called A Dinosaur Within a Dream. I love whoever named these two scenes. That's so funny. I hope they didn't get paid. (laughs) You know, you get the introduction of Andy. I mean, we can't skip over Large Marge, actually. Large Marge, I mean, there's not much to say about Large Marge, but... What a She's fucking horrifying. insane thing to put into a movie. It's not scary when you watch it now, but it's, it's literally just because this movie, it, all that dread that she is being built up until, like, in the first half of the movie when you when Large Marge goes, look like this, you know, like, it's it was the original jump video for me. So, yeah. like, I couldn't watch it because I knew something bad was going to happen. If you want that scene to still be terrifying for you in your 30s, watch it in slow motion because <laughs> that is... Brian, have you ever done that? No. If you watch the scene in slow motion, it's so weird because it's an actor, and then they turn, and then it's the clay face before it mutates, and it is, like, just this empty shell. <laughs> but I used to do that all the time. If I would see, like, a claymation scene like that... Or like the shark blowing up in Jaws the Revenge. Like I'd be like, let me let me watch this in slow motion. I just want to see like, I, I'd like to try to see like how they like build it out essentially. And man, that first, the starting point of Large Marge's face before the mutation is fucking horrifying. To I, there's something so embarrassing to me, but so honored. <laughs> They're so proud of you to think that you slowed down movies to see how like the stop motion works and i used to rewind movies because i thought it'd be funny to see a t-rex spit a guy onto a toilet in jurassic Park. <laughs> well i feel uh, like that's the perfect illustration of your your uh, family dynamic apparently we're getting to a point where i wrote down so many quotes i wrote down deep in the heart of texas yeah i also i'm trying to use the phone <laughs> oh man but see that i feel like that whole scene with the tequila dance and everything like yeah. that is the the scene that everybody would talk about from this goddamn movie in the 80s and early 90s when and and so it just feels like so stale to me that I just I didn't enjoy it but I mean I do I do so love seeing Cassandra Peterson out of the Elvira makeup in this that you know <laughs> I, I can live with it I think the perfect button on that scene is him trying to drive off on the motorcycle. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's hilarious. That I didn't get how funny that was until you know I was an adult. 
Because he doesn't oh know God. how to r- drive a motorcycle. He's just going with it. He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, one of the notes that I wrote down, I actually said this to Brian yesterday when we were texting, but holy shit, Dottie is thirsty in this movie. And Pee-wee so, is just... She's, she's in the middle of a desert right there. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just denying it left and right. Well, and the funny thing is, is that it would the, the assumption in my mind would be, okay, this man-child is oblivious. Because yeah. I'm an oblivious man child and so that's the way my brain thinks it's funnier that he knows what she's trying to do and is <laughs> deflecting it like you know that's not going to happen Dottie you know like, yeah. it's so, so great the funniest part of those scenes are like like in the beginning when he's like I'm a loner Dottie a rebel and he like just turns around all seriously and then him walking out is like him fighting the smile <laughs> and then I love that that's a get up kids song I was I about to say we it's... just listened to that record last week when we were making dinner another different day and Megan was like how did I forget about these guys and I'm like probably because you hate Reggie in the full effect so much <laughs> but yeah we get to Hollywood is that Krull armor that is Krull battle armor I'm almost positive <laughs> that is Krull Imperial Guard battle armor you... Do you know who it was underneath the mask? Because I just found this out the other day while doing research. The guy who, like, lifts up the mask and has, like, yeah. a very soft-spoken voice. It's Jombi. It's the guy who played Jombi on Pee-wee's oh, Playhouse. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it's such a dumb joke, right? Like, he has a guy dressed like a battle warrior, and he's got a very soft-spoken voice, and then he asks a showgirl who's got, like, a very deep masculine voice to point him in the right direction. So it's those stupid. little, it's yeah. those stupid jokes. But that chase through the movie studio is fucking i i love every beat of it i love the godzilla scene i love that they just (laughs) trash a christmas movie they ruin a twisted sister music video for arguably one of the best twisted sister songs also yes that that, there's no argument there burning hell is (laughs) the best twisted sister song can i cover it you really do you should i would dude you could bust out that falsetto again (laughs) i will say about most of the bands of that era and scott may kill me for this but like i feel like the biggest waste of money for a lot of like hair metal bands is a greatest hits album you know because like <laughs> twisted sisters greatest hits is stay hungry that's it like that's their yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 well that's the thing though is like i know that they're not really hair metal well later later Def Leppard isn't really hair metal right but pyromania is arguably a hair metal record but you know then they just became kind of like radio rock for yeah like arena you know, rock or whatever. hysteria and stuff like that but i knew of them growing up in a cornfield but then when i went to college i found the jeff leopard greatest hits like double cd and so i had all their big songs and like i didn't know half of the good stuff that they did you know so like that on the other hand i think that that works but like rat you only need out of the cellar skid row you need self-titled I'm going to derail this, and I apologize, but I watched a few years ago, like, I watched a Twisted Sister documentary, but it's, like, it's so fascinating to see, like, them before they were big and how influential they were, and just, like, that New York scene, and I told Matt to listen to, there's there's this podcast, No Dogs in Space, that, like, goes in deep dives of music, and I started listening to Beastie Boys, and it was about that, and the reason, just so you know, Matt, the reason that the episodes are, like, two hours is because it's, like... I'm 40 minutes in. We haven't even talked about the Beastie Boys. It's yeah. it's like this it's is like what setting started up what was scene. happening. Yeah. yeah. Skid Row and Twisted Sister, I will never sit down and be like, they were absolutely the most talented bands of that hair rock scene or whatever. But of a lot of that hair rock scene, like 
I would actually want to talk to Sebastian Bach or Dean yeah. Like I'm like, yeah. I'm like, they actually seem like they're like dudes who get it. They don't have like a big ego about who they were. Like Sebastian Bach, are you sure? I don't know, man. Sebastian Bach was a lead actor on three seasons of Gilmore Girls, playing an <laughs> oh, okay. aged, okay. aged dad playing in a punk band with a bunch of teenagers. I feel like he's got a little bit of like self awareness yeah. in him. Okay, All but right. like, I accept this. but like Brett Michaels, like no, no I have no desire. No. To, like, you know what I mean? Like I, no. I, I can or enjoy basically Poison from, from afar. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Oh, and Poison. That's that's a great a great suggestion for if people are like, oh, I need a hair metal greatest hits like yeah just go with that you know go with their greatest yeah. hits yeah. because because poison actually did have like two or three good songs on every album so just get but them no compiled yeah, into the single yeah, no like, really exactly. good album and then there's like uh you know docking where i think the docking had like three really good records to tie it back to the show just so they were going through all these bands in the new york scene like these punk bands that were super influential that never really got famous and this one band they were talking about they kind of put on like a war style show and it's because their front man was screaming Mad George. And oh, it was like, shit. yeah, he was like a huge influence into like that whole New York punk scene. He was the front man for like some shitty punk band that used to just like <laughs> do crazy special effects on stage. <laughs> That's, amazing. That's amazing. I will I listen that. to the fuck out of that because that is <laughs> basically anything screaming Mad George has touched. I want in my life. It's in yeah. some way, shape or form. <laughs> So so we, we get through the studio chase scene. Pee-wee gets his bike back, but he stops to save a bunch of animals from a burning pet shop. And yeah. I could just watch Paul Rubens running, screaming, holding snakes in his hand on a yeah. loop for like 10 hours, and it would still make me laugh. But no, it's, like, it's the buildup. It's the every time he goes in, he just stares at the snakes in disgust. <laughs> we're like, I really think he's going to leave them to die. <laughs> um, but then we get watching... This scene is absolutely brilliant. But first off, we need to talk about a Brian story. Pee-wee gets caught. He's brought into the studio. They're showing him the footage. And he's sinking deeper and deeper into the couch. And all I can think of is a story that I don't know if Brian has told on this podcast. But the infamous Brian causing a disturbance on the school bus tape. Oh, my God. Do you mind telling people this story real quick? Dude, it was insane. I went on a bus with a few of my friends, and I, like, live, like, a mile away. Like, I didn't have to ride the bus. I just wanted to for my friends. It was, like, I did it for a few months. And, like, I climbed on the bus, and I saw my friend out the window, so I flipped him off, and I called him, like, a fucking prick. And then, like, our other friend came on the bus, and we were, like, just fucking around. But one of the kids in the back that we weren't talking we were just really just fucking with our friends like got really scared because we were like really mean to each other but it was all of our <laughs> friends i got suspended for one week for gang activity and i had to watch this video and have these people explain to my parents that that me and five other white children were in a gang <laughs> but i think the best part of that story is that you told me that like you're sitting there watching this video, and in the video, one of you says to the other, like, hey, man, I think there might be a camera Nick on this Hickey. bus. I said it to Nick yeah. Hickey, because Nick Hickey kept cursing. I was like, dude. I was like, shut up. They're filming us. And he looks right at the camera. He's like, there's no fucking sound on these fucking things. <laughs> We're in, like, sixth grade. Are you fucking this cheap-ass school? They're not going to put a fucking camera with sound on it. <laughs> 
And I just imagine Brian, like the way that Pee Wee's just sitting in the in the chair, like sinking down. I'm like imagining Brian sitting between my mom and dad as they're playing this video for them. But we get to the drive-in sequence. Arguably one of the best closing scenes I've ever seen in a comedy. It does such a great job of bringing back all of these characters. It's a great motif. And when you see Pee Wee in the movie and he is playing the role of someone who has no confidence in their acting it is so fucking funny like when he's just staying there and you can see that he is like mouthing mouthing what they're saying to like stay on time (laughs) and he kept looking directly at the camera and then looking away (laughs) and then the dubbed voice beijing mr herman mr herman please come to the front desk such a dumb joke but i love it's it so good and then francis gets shot towards the moon and mm. the movie ends beautiful it is mind-blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made so we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors check us out at undiscover scripts movies made of paper wherever you get your podcasts free Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! So, episode 300, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Brian, what's the movie you're going to double feature this with? Ed Wood. Anytime okay. oh, you get tied into yeah. Tim Burton in some way, I'm going to double feature <laughs> with Ed Wood. Yep, totally makes sense. All right, Scott? I'm going to go with Bad Channels because the uh, the clown nightmare just feels like a psychotic symphony symphony um, <laughs> yes. music video. For sure. Or ICP. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm gonna pick a different movie than this. But when I was doing the research, we you know, we talk about how IMDb trivia has some of like, the dumbest pieces of trivia yeah. ever. Uh, one of them just called out that in at the end of Buckaroo Banzai, <laughs> the characters walk towards the camera and one is dressed like Pee Wee Herman and Jeff Goldblum is dressed like Pee Wee Herman during the rodeo. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think that that was intentional. But what I am <laughs> going to pick this with, shocker to no one, is another movie that really captures the high energy of a guy going to Hollywood and then getting a movie made about him, the Muppets movie, in which Kermit the Frog goes to Hollywood and gets a bunch of friends to make a movie. Um, (laughs) Brian's reaction. Okay, people that are listening to this on your podcasting app, Brian looked like if if Paul Rubens is doing a Valley Girl in his Pee Wee impressions, Brian just did a Valley Girl because his eyes rolled so fucking hard. I thought he was going to go blind. Uh, And it is worth giving a quick shout out. You know, love him or hate him. Kevin Smith has been very open that Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was just him trying to do a remake of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And makes sense when you think about it. It follows the exact same Mm storyline almost to a T. But, uh, all right, what is something that you guys have watched that you want to talk about? Um, so I'm trying to start writing again. And for me, I watch a lot of movies and I just get like, I can never make this movie. Yeah. So I'm like, let me go and watch 
these people I look up to is like original films, like short films, independent films. Ari Aster, he has a short on YouTube. It's called There's Something Strange About the Johnsons. It's not a horror movie. It's the most disturbing 20 minutes I've ever watched. Not a snuff film, not a horror movie. It is so uncomfortable. My jaw dropped the whole time. Like, I, I, I don't even want to suggest people watch it. But I also do. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should watch it, but understand that I'm telling you it's, you're going to feel uncomfortable. And I'll tell you guys about it afterwards if you have no intention of watching it. But I'm not going to do it on air. And then secondly, I watched Mortal Kombat last night. And yes, like, so did I, yeah. dude. What's everyone's problem? Like, I, it's, it, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck they were expecting. Do they no. remember the first two Mortal Kombat yeah. movies? <laughs> the only thing I will say that I hated about it, that I think that they, but it wasn't any, I enjoyed the movie as a whole. I hated what they did with Reptile. Other than that, it was just loads of fucking fun. I enjoyed it because I turned my brain off for an hour and 40 Absolutely. minutes. It, like, it is, and I actually really liked some of the characterizations, I thought Kano was really fun, really, like, funny, too. I mean, give somebody an Australian accent and they say fuck a bunch of times and I'm yeah. sold, you know? But, I mean, I thought Sonya Blade was actually a much better casting design or decision than, you know, I, I liked her a lot better. She seemed like more of a badass, more like she earned the fact that she's, you know, just like a highly skilled fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really I really loved that. I... I didn't love what they did with Reptile, but I liked it. You know, I ha- actually have no no criticism for the movie because I was expecting something yeah. fucking No one's awful. going into that expecting fucking, you know, Citizen Kane when you're watching yeah, exactly. Mortal Kombat. Like, Citizen uh, Kano? Oh, that's a crossover. <laughs> Brian, there you uh, go. But, There's your short film. Yeah, <laughs> like, but the, uh, the other it. one that I wanted to mention is also on... Um, HBO Max and uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Kong, I enjoyed. Uh, it's just exactly what you think it is. You know, it's another popcorn movie where I get to turn my brain off. I'll, and my only critique is that I preferred Godzilla King of Monsters because there were a ton of kaiju in it. You know, like yeah, this is yeah. just Kong, Godzilla, and Mecha Godzilla. But I mean, it's still fun. Let right. me ask you guys, because uh, I'm, I'm running out of time, so I, it's not like I can watch them first. I do want to watch King Kong, Godzilla vs. Kong. Is King of Monsters and Skull Island, like, are both of them worth a watch, or is just one of them so worth a watch? watch, watch King of Monsters. This is, my, this is my take. I liked King of Monsters. I've watched enough sections, segments um, of Skull Island that... I don't love it because I just don't love Kong that much. I think he's fine. Yeah. And and but like and the whole point of that movie I think is well, the reason why I like King of Monsters the most of the 3, right? Mm-hmm. Of Skull Island, well, even of the 4, like there's Godzilla <clears throat> uh 2015 or whatever it was. Something like, yeah. Um yeah. the one that had Brian Cranston in it, um and Elizabeth Olsen. That one I like the least because it's got the most amount of human humans on screen. Gotcha. You know, but then up from that, I would say Skull Island because a lot of humans are on screen and the f- big bad in it is a little disappointing for me. I mean, it's still a kaiju, but it's just like not didn't really do it for me. Like I've watched the pen. Yeah. I've watched the ultimate but man, scene, the end King scene of Monsters. King like of Monsters. And then it goes like Godzilla versus Kong and yeah. then King of Monsters. King of Monsters is literally 70 to 80 percent kaiju battle. 
you know, yeah. there's people uh, talking, but it's it. very, very, very light. Well, and that's, I mean, speaking. but but also to answer your question as well, Brian, the reality is like, I mean, you like Godzilla movies about as much as I do, which is like, I'll watch them if they're on. I don't mm-hmm. like make it a point to watch them, but like. Godzilla movies, in my opinion, like if they're trying to build a cinematic universe out of Godzilla, like that is a fool's errand because those movies are supposed to be that you can just jump into like the 15th Godzilla movie with absolutely no context. You know what I mean? Like, like just I would even say Godzilla versus Kong. Like I didn't need to watch the the first of the Toho reboot Godzilla's. It's not a great movie. I just watched it because it was on streaming services. But King of Monsters is the perfect one because... You don't need to watch anything before it to understand everything about what... Because they, they do little info dumps. They even did info dumps in Godzilla vs. Kong. So you could go in seeing it without having watched any of the other ones and still enjoy the movie and enjoy the characters, be like the human characters. But what I'll say, last thing I'll say about it is that the, the people that... You know like how people have this problem with the Godzilla redesign? Because mm-hmm. they're like, he's got a fat ass, and he, I, don't, I don't like his face, blah, blah, blah. I think he looks awesome, and I think that that CGI is really tight. Nice. I'll have to check nice. it out then. Um, so I'm going to talk about two quick things. Uh, I watched the documentary on Netflix, uh, Why Did You Kill Me?, which started off okay, and then like slowly just kind of like it's got less interesting as it went on. But it's about a girl who was killed in like a pseudo drive-by shooting and her mom and family had a long history with the cops being arrested all the time so they didn't trust the cops to handle the case so this was during the myspace days they made a fake myspace account of the daughter and used it to track down all of the gang members that were involved in the drive-by shooting and make them fall in love with this girl that they had killed and then be like if you love me so much why the fuck did you kill me and like torture these guys with guilt essentially i feel like by, by the time the movie was over i was just like you guys really only had like a 30 minute like this is like a great episode of a true crime yeah. show that you were like we got to make it 90 minutes and like it just felt like they were really trying to stretch it out uh and then i texted you guys both yesterday that based on a reference from kathleen from my favorite episode of i checked out a show called cruel summer and it's a free form show which i normally don't get into but the the way that this show is formatted is really, really cool. Uh, it's going to be an eight-episode run, and it takes place in 1993, 1994, 1995, right? And it jumps around in those three timelines. But, like, so for the first episode, it will say, all of the events took place on approximately Jan- January 23rd of 1993, 1994, 1995. So you're jumping around in this timeline and seeing how dramatically different this one character is over those three years. And while you're following it, you find that, like, she was a really dorky kid, and then she started dating this really cool guy, and then a year later, she's, like, going to court and everybody hates her. And you find out that, like, this popular girl went missing, and... This girl who was dorky saw what happened and didn't report it to the cops because she saw a chance to be popular. Um, And then the second episode is all from the perspective of the girl who got kidnapped. So I think it's like every episode is you're getting pieces of the story from the perspectives of like eight different people while the events were happening. 
and I'm hoping that the last episode is from the perspective of the kidnapper because they tell you who it is up front. I won't tell you guys who it is, but they tell you who it is, and it's like, yo, I want to know the story of like what was fucking going on to lead to this. So like, I'm actually kind of hooked. Like, I'm like, all right, when's the next episode? Like, it's every Tuesday a new episode. So I'm like, oh, I need to, I need to know what's gonna happen with this shit. It's fucking wild. But also the sound, like the one episode, the whole episode is soundtracked to songs from the Cranberries. And like another, like it's just like it's very they, brick to me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. There's a, like a trip hop cover of Zombie in the second episode, and I need to find out who did it because it's so fucking good. <laughs> like it's like literally if Portishead covered Zombie, it sounds I feel like so that's good. Like you, that's your dream music right there. <laughs> trip hop covers of '90s rock music, radio rock. But they throw when there's just a perfect soundtrack. I don't want to overstay my welcome because I already talked about two things. I will say everyone <laughs> should watch Q into the storm. And at one point they do like this choir cover of Go Ask Alice. And I don't even know if that's the name of the song. But who knows? But <laughs> dude, so perfect. So perfect. And yeah, everyone needs to watch it. It's one of the best documentaries out right now. They actually don't really focus on the conspiracy theory itself. The whole thing is like Let's find out who's doing this. Like, that's really it. It's like, who is behind this? And it's just like, it's kind of funny where it's just like, you kind of look at like people, you're like, you follow these virgins. Like, this is who you follow. (laughs) 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 Oh, God. All right. Well, 300 episodes in. Let's do 300 more, guys. Uh, (laughs) But... Thank you so much for watching and listening. Obviously, we'll say a lot more to everybody when the best of year six drops because yes, it's running really wait. long. But uh, love you guys. Thank you for sticking around. You're the best. It is mind-blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! You're listening to the Geekscape Network.